I heard a story some time ago um, about a, a, a young guy getting into business and uh, he's working for a corporation and he has the opportunity to uh, settle a huge contract for the company. And he blows it badly. Like, you know, this is one of these like million dollar contracts and, and uh, he walks out of that office with his tail between his legs having been chewed up one side and down the other and just deeply embarrassed. And the next day he has to go back into work. And sure enough, when he gets into work, he's got a message from his boss to come to the office. So he comes into the office fully expecting that uh, um, he's about to be fired. Kind of a reasonable expectation, maybe. And uh, sits down across from the boss. The boss says, what went wrong? The young man tells him, this is what went wrong. Where did you goof up? The young man says, this is where I goofed up. Okay. Aren't you going to fire me? He says, son, I just invested a million dollars in training for you. I want you to earn that money back. Now, I think that sometimes, sometimes that's the way that we look at God. That he's invested in us and he's done all this stuff to us and he's just looking to get that money, that, that investment back out of us. And, and I'm going to talk about this, this parable in, in Matthew 25, because you know, I, I told you, Matthew 25, last three Sundays of the church here, all three weeks, that's what we're reading from. I, I think that the way that we've generally read this, it kind of has that, that tone to it. You know, you've got this master who goes on a trip and he invests in his, uh, his servants, literally his slaves, and he gives them a boatload of money. You know, when you, when you hear that word talent, you know, we think of talent as the things that we can do. Talent was actually a weight. So these are huge sums of money. You're talking years worth of salaries, even for the guy who got one talent, you know, Sometimes we're like, well, why do you only get one? How many years worth of salary do you need? You know, it, it's, it's a lot of money. And then, you know, we get to the end of it. And, you know, the guy with the five comes and well done, good and faithful servant. You, you got five more. Oh, well done, guy who I gave two talents to. You got two more. Why, you wicked, lazy servant. You didn't do anything. Get out. And I think sometimes when we read this, we look at God as transactional. We look at him as, you know, oh, I gave you these gifts and what did you do with them? And a moment of confession, I'm pretty sure I've preached that sermon in the past. It's really easy, really easy to go there. You know, our hearts are always drawn to God's law because we think that God's law gives us the opportunity to prove ourselves. Whereas in reality, God's law always leaves us flat on our faces and needing forgiveness. So let me walk you through this parable with maybe a different lens. It starts out, the reading, it starts out, 
for it will be like a man going on a journey. Whenever you see a pronoun, you've got to look for what does that refer to. And in Matthew 25, it is the kingdom of heaven. And remember, just as I spent some time talking about this last week, the kingdom of heaven has come. God's salvation is at work in you and it's working through you in the world. And, you know, we have this salvation and we rejoice in it and we live in it every day. But there's another fulfillment coming. There's the day that we read about, the day of the Lord, the day that, that Mike read about that with all of these warnings that, uh, that Bob was talking about when Jesus returns. We might call that the judgment day, right? So the kingdom of heaven has come, but the kingdom of heaven is coming. So we live in this kind of now, not yet time. It's here now, and we're waiting for this one that hasn't come yet. And that kingdom that is coming will be like a a master, a lord, it says, who entrusted his servants with his property. Literally, he gave them his property. You hear that word entrusted and there's, there's kind of that, that implication that he's expecting something back. But the Greek is a little bit more open. It's, he, he gave them these huge sums of money. And did you notice that at the end of the parable, who has the talents? It's still the servants. I always had this impression that, you know, here's what's yours. I'm giving it back. But that's not how the parable ends, is it? Not even the one talent goes back to, you know, the master. It goes to the guy who made ten. And he sends them off with these huge amounts of riches. And I think this parable is asking us, when we think about God and we think about the judgment day, what is our image of what God is like? Because the master in this parable is ridiculously generous. So he gives to his servants these incredible amounts of money. To one he gives five talents, to one he gives two, to the the last one he gives one, and then he goes on his journey. And did you catch that it says that he gives to them each according to his Ability. How, how did he know what they were capable of? Because our God is not a God who's like far away and just kind of like, oh, well, we'll just kind of see how they do with this. The master in the parable knows his servants. He knows what they're capable of. And so he gives them gifts accordingly. And God does that for us, too. He knows us. Every hair on your head is numbered. A friend of ours said that, didn't he? That's how intimately God knows you. And so it makes sense that when he invests in you, when he gives you his gifts, he knows. And he blesses you with these things. Not to set you up for failure, but to set you up for A moment of joy. 
So the servants go out. And it says that they, they traded with their talents, at least the first and the second one did. And, um, and, and okay, um, but, but the, the, the original is a little bit more um, open again. It literally says they worked with it. They worked with their talents. They put their money to work. That's, that's what we call it when we invest our money, right? So, okay, they traded with it, that's fine. Um, that's, that's good English. But the idea is they just went out and they just used what the master had given them. And the first guy's super successful. Five talents more. Wow. Second guy, super successful. Two talents more. Wow. And then the third, the third servant, he, he goes out and it says that he's afraid of his master. And so he takes what the master had given him and he buries it in the ground. He hides it. Do people ever look at God with fear? Do they ever think about what that interaction with him will be like with a sense of dread? Yeah. We acknowledge that, don't we? As we, as we teach people the catechism, and as we understand the Ten Commandments, every one of them is explained with, you know, we should fear and love God so that we don't do these things, but we do these things. Fear is a big motivator. But is it our only motivator? What, what, is, our, what is our image of God? How do we look at him how do we look at that day when he's going to return? You know, I, I've had conversations with people who, when they think of the day of the Lord, even though they are Christians, even though they are baptized, even though they have been washed in Jesus' blood, even though they cling to his promises, they look at that day with terror because it's the judgment day. And they're afraid of all the things in their lives that, that are going to be laid bare. As if God didn't know them beforehand? As if God didn't intimately know that already? Isn't that kind of why Jesus came? Because God knew what was going on inside of here? So that Jesus would die to pay for our sins so that we look at the day of the Lord with terror? No. Jesus came so that he would wash our sins away and we could look at the day of the Lord with hope. The master is going to return. What is your view of that day? What is your view of that moment when you stand before Jesus? Is he going to have that angry scowl on his face that, that you have not lived up to the talents that he gave you? Or is your view of that day coming back to the master who has poured out every blessing upon you who has given you clothing, shoes, house, home, you know, all of these earthly blessings. And not only that, given his own life, shed his own blood to redeem you. Think about that passage in Romans chapter 8. What shall separate us from the love of God that is for us in Christ Jesus? Will persecution or hardship, danger, sword? Will the day of the Lord? Of course not. 
This is what Jesus came for. To redeem us so that we don't need to fear that day. So that we don't have to have this, this attitude that this last servant, this one talent servant has. Where he looks at God with terror and says, Oh, I'm just going to play it safe and I'm going to hide this in the ground. But that's not the only attitude toward the day of the Lord that we were confronted with in these scripture readings. I found this reading in uh, Zephaniah to be fascinating. You know, it, it talks about these officials and king's sons who array themselves in foreign attire. You know, we look at them and we're like, well, what's the big deal? Who cares what clothes you're wearing? The clothes that they were wearing were saying something about the faith that they were following. They're, these are God's people. They're not to conform to the world. You know, they're to be a light to the world that the people would be drawn to them. And it says they filled their master's houses with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go out all through the city and the traitors are going to be cut off. The people who are, whose lives are so focused on, on money, the, the, their money will be cut off. And, and it says he's going to punish the men who are complacent, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. What does that mean? The Lord will not do good, nor will he do will, nor will he do ill. Basically saying, God doesn't care. Have we ever heard attitude like that before? That God is just... God's at a distance. He created all of this. If, if the person believes in God at all, he's just at a distance and he kind of leaves these things to us. He, what difference does it make how we live these lives? He's not going to do anything about it. I think people with that attitude are probably going to have a very sad reaction to the day of the Lord talks about this in Revelation. They see the one whom they pierced coming in the clouds and they cry out to the hills, fall on us into the mountains, cover us. Because a lot of times we go through life as if that day's never coming. Yeah, God's not going to intervene in anything in this. We just kind of go about our lives doing what we need to do. And then when we die, somehow we go to heaven because we're good. Except I'm not sure that the evidence actually supports that. Especially not when God's word is the measure by which we're measuring if it's transactional. If this relationship with him is about what we do. So what is this master like? What is God like? Well, that day of the Lord will be like a master who knows his people so well, knows them so intimately that he blesses them, just blesses their socks off ridiculously. And then he rejoices in what his blessings did in their lives. People who receive his gifts and then live in those gifts. And yeah, some of those gifts are tactile gifts. There are things like money. And using our money 
for the Lord matters. But there are also the skills and the abilities and, and, and all of those time, talents, and treasures, things that we often talk about that are used not to gain God's favor, but because God has bestowed his favor upon us. And he's given us the joy of being able to serve him, the joy and the confidence that someday we're going to stand in front of him. And we're going to know what we've done. And we're going to share those blessings with the Lord. Did you notice at no point does the master actually say, what did you do? It says that there is, there is a day when you know, they, they're, you know, they, they, they came and settled accounts. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. But it, it's not an interrogation. It's not a, what did you do with my stuff? They come in. Master, oh, I don't know why you did it. It's crazy. You gave me five talents. Look, I made five more. Good job. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what the day of the Lord is for us in Christ. It's entering into the joy of your master. And that word master in the Greek is actually Lord. It's entering into the joy of your Lord who has redeemed you, who has saved you, who has has won you. And is there a warning in this reading for us? Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's a stiff warning. Bob's dead on when he says that this is this is for us to receive as a warning. But why, why would God warn us? Out of his love. He doesn't want us to be the one who buries the gifts. He doesn't want us to be the one who looks and is fearful of what is to come. But the one who lives in the generosity of our Lord. And because we're so confident of that generosity, we go out and we put these gifts to work. Gifts of sharing the gospel. Gifts of sharing hope. Gifts of sharing the love of Jesus wherever he gives us the opportunity. Because when we share those gifts, when we share the gospel, when we share God's love, when we share hope, the hope we have in Christ, it will bear fruit doubling God's investment. And we face that day in the confidence that we're going to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful over a little. Cracks me up. If somebody gave you like, you know, 20 years worth of salary, would you be like, well, thank you for this little gift. My... My daughter likes to, uh, to make fun of uh, one of uh, Donald Trump's quotes where he got a small loan of a million dollars. Because to you know, us, that's like, what? 
A million bucks, it changes everything. And he says, all these gifts that I've given you in my life, in your life, you've been faithful over a little. I'm going to make you over much. Come into the joy of your Lord. That's the day of the Lord for those who trust in Christ. Amen.